0: Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. Afterlife, here's something that we know for sure. You're going to die. Or Jesus is going to come back. And you're like, that's so encouraging and positive. I know, but I'm positive you're going to die or Jesus is going to come back. Like, that is a guarantee. We don't know exactly when, but that is something that is going to happen. That's just a part of life. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take just the next two weeks, and we're going to look at what happens after we die. And C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if you read history, he said, you will find that the Christians who did the most in this present world were precisely those who thought the most of the next it is since christians have largely ceased to think about the other world that they've become so ineffective in this one and that's what we're looking at as we're looking at the afterlife and being mindful of what we know is coming and i don't know if you've ever experienced this or seen this at your office or where you work but you show up and all of a sudden somebody is just really motivated and you realize they've got vacation next week and maybe that's you but you accomplish more in that week before than you normally do in a typical three-week period because you're like vacation is coming I'm getting this done I'm not going to think about it like I've got I've got to get this done you have motivation you get it done and really what we want to do over these next two weeks is to look and to be mindful of some of the things about the fact that we are going to die and what happens after we die. To be mindful and to make the most of the opportunities that we have now, as well as be aware of some of the lies, traps, and things that the devil uses when it comes to and surrounded around when we die and what happens when we die. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I know it will. You're like, really? It's death. How, How can that be? I know. You... I was going to, no, I'm not, I don't have time to tell you the story of my first funeral that I ever did, but you would have laughed, and it was a funeral, and it was awkward. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at what Jesus had to say. And he, in in Luke, Jesus really kind of gives us a sneak peek into what happens when we die, because Jesus was teaching, and he says, this is what happens, and he gives an account of two people dying. And that's what we're going to look at in Luke chapter 16, verse 19. So there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen. He lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus who was covered in sores. So these are our two guys. Now, we're going to jump around and back and forth. If you've got your Bibles, um, the best place for you to stay would be Luke, because we're going to keep coming back to this. However, all of these scriptures that I'll get to, and probably some that I won't, are in the YouVersion Bible app. So if you have that on your phone, you can go in there pull up the event and put in Life West Church and you can get all of these notes and more. So if that helps you, there's that for you. So it goes on to this and then verse 21 and it says, okay, so here we've got them. We've got these two people. And at the gate was laid the beggar named Lazarus. He was covered with sores, verse 21. And longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores, verse 22. Now the the time came when the beggar died and angels carried him to Abraham's side. So the beggar died. He, his body stayed there. Because remember this, you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. You are three in one. So when when the beggar died, two angels, the Bible says that angels carried him. The real you leaves your body when you die. Your body stays we bury it, it's in the ground, that's not you. The real you leaves. And it says, and it went to Abraham's side. Now, this took place, again, Jesus is telling this, hey, this is what happened. So this took place before Jesus had died on the cross. And before Jesus had died on the cross, he had not paid for our sins. If you were here last week, you heard my father talk about the, the blood, and how it's now on the mercy seat in heaven and, and until then there was the sacrifices that were given before then but they were not able to do what God's blood, what Jesus' blood did do. So before Jesus died the righteous dead, as it referred to in the Bible that's awesome. That's a nice ringer. Mom. That's my mother-in-law. <laughs> so before the righteous dead, before Jesus died on the cross, when the righteous dead died, they went to a place called Abraham's side because they could not go to heaven, because Jesus hadn't shed his blood yet. They could not go to heaven. So you and I today would not go to Abraham's side because Jesus has died on the cross. So as a righteous dead today, we would go straight to heaven. But as we look here, this is the account that we're given, and he is in or at Abraham's side. Another translation in your Bible might say Abraham's bosom, but that is what this is. And that's really why it it talks about in Ephesians that when Jesus died and he rose again, it says that he led the captives in his train. And as you look, when Jesus rose from the dead, he wasn't the only one that was seen. The Bible says that in Jerusalem, many of the righteous dead that had died before were seen. And that was these people who were waiting for Jesus to die on the cross. When that happened, they were at Abraham's side, and he emptied it. He emptied that, and he said, let's go to heaven. And they all went with him, and they were seen throughout Jerusalem at that time. And they were able to go up to heaven. So when you die, the real you, you go one of two places, heaven or hell, smoking or not. It's a lame pastor <laughs> joke, but it's all I've got, okay? It's not gonna get better. I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's really not. But that's really what it is—it's heaven or hell, and that's where he went. So when we see Abraham's side to you and I today, that would mean we would be carried to heaven. And it says in verse 22, the latter part, as we're getting back to Luke, says the rich man also died and was buried. He was in hell. So here's what happens: is you don't get to float around. Whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell, there's two choices. There's not. The intermediate, well, I'm going to float around, well, I've got some unfinished business. This house down the road just really needs haunting. I just need to go. Like, it, it just looks like it. We had one growing up down our street, and it just, it just looked like it would be haunted, and I did not like to try, ride my bike by that house unless I was on my way home. Unless I was on my way home from my friend's house, I remembered I liked going by that house because I would get so afraid that I could pedal really, really fast. And I felt like "Mm, nothing could ever catch me. But that was until I was even with it. I just didn't like it, but it just looked like it was haunted. But here's the deal. You will not be haunting any houses. You don't stick around. You don't have unfinished business or I'm stuck. I can't leave. I don't want to. No, that's not what the Bible says at all. Hebrews 9.27, And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. We don't come back and like, well, got to try again. I didn't, I, I didn't get it right the first time. That's, that is not what happens. But then, what about, what about people who have seen, say, hey, I've seen, you know, my grandma. She came back and talked to me. She, she was standing at the end of the bed. She, she was there. She was in the house. Um, what about haunted houses? where there's just stuff that you, you just cannot explain what's happening. I remember I was walking into, I, I grew up in church. Uh, my dad was a pastor. And he's been a pastor for 35 years. When I was born, he was a missionary in, in Mexico. So, so church was just always a part of my life. So some of it, what was normal to me, isn't normal to other, other people. I remember one time I was walking into church and I said, um, I, I was very young. And I said hi to one of the pastors. And he's like, I'm out of here. And I was like, oh, where are you going, Pastor Ted? And he's like, I've got to perform an exorcist on a house. They got cupboard doors that won't stay closed and things going on. And he just walks off. And I'm like... And then I see him later and I'm like, what was that? And he kind of explained a bit of it to me. But there is a supernatural there are angels, there are demons. Demons are following angels, and they are, they are spirits. There's a spirit realm. We look in the, in the Bible, in fact, in Elisha is standing one time. Outside, there's an army coming against him, and, and his servant is with him, and he's like, we're in so much trouble, and he prays. He says, God, open his eyes to see that those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And the Bible says that all of a sudden his eyes were opened and he saw the heavenly army, chariots of fire surrounding the entire area. There is a spirit realm, whether we see it or not. There definitely is. And so as we look at what happens when we die, there is a difference. And I will explain some of the haunted house. We'll get back to that in just a second. But each man to die and to die once. And what about people who say, I've seen, I, I, I have seen them. They knew things that nobody else should know. Hebrews 13.2 says this, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without knowing it. Anybody have an angel over to their house that you know of? Just come over like, hey, I'm hungry. Um, that's literally what it's talking about. And here's what it is saying. Angels have the ability to be seen by us. And not only that, but they have the ability to look like people. Because he says, you've entertained angels and you didn't even know it. We look in the Bible and Abraham is out, at a he's just outside and two strangers come by and somehow he knows that they're angels. And he begins to talk with them. And later they they leave from him and they go on to the city of Sodom and they enter the city and the people there see him and and he goes to uh, Abraham's son-in-law lot and talks with them and people look at him and say, hey, we want to talk with these guys. And they looked like people. They looked like people. Angels have that ability. Demons are fallen angels. They also have that ability. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, it talks about Satan disguising himself as an angel of light. So if somebody is seen, if you have seen, you're like, hey, they're dead, but I see grandma, I see my, I, I, my little sister or whoever, whatever you, you see, angels, demons have the ability to appear as people, to appear as people that loved ones. I'm going to look at just a minute at, an, at another situation or another instance of that. Those things are real, but here's what it's not. It is not your loved one or your relative coming back to talk to you. That is not what it is. It is one of two things. It is either an angel or a demon. It is one of the two because when you die, you go to heaven or you go to hell. We do not get to stick around. We do not get to do that. And another thing when it comes to the dead is you say, well, what about those people who say that they can, they can talk to dead people, channel or medium or, or whatever? And they're like, you can watch it on TV and maybe your read on it is, well, they just plant people in the audience and they stand up and, or, or they prime them for information. It's like, you're, you liked them and they had a pet and they're like, we did, we had a dog. And you're like, okay, it was a dog. And, and, and they're just priming them for information. Maybe that's what it is. And, and, and how does that all work? Well, There's actually an instance in the Bible where King Saul is wanting some guidance. And the prophet Samuel, who had been the one to give him guidance from God, is dead. And so this is what it says. It says in 1 Samuel 28, verse 7, it says, Samuel then said to his advisors, Find me a woman who is a medium so I can ask her what to do. His servants replied, There's one in Endor. So verse 8, so Saul disguised himself, wearing ordinary clothes instead of his royal robes. And he went to the woman's home at night, accompanied by two of his men. And he says, I have to talk to a man who has died. He said, will you call up his spirit for me? And you can keep reading the account. And the woman says, you know, I can't do that. That's wrong. Saul says not to King Saul, which is him. As as I said, we cannot do this. I I cannot do that. He says, don't worry about it. You'll be safe. Just call up for the man that I name. Call up Samuel. And she says, I see a man, and she describes what he looks like, the prophet Samuel, with enough detail that King Saul says, that's him. And at that point, it switches, and no longer is the medium. Is she describing what's going on? But it sounds like, as you read through here, that the Spirit is actually talking through her and begins to converse with Saul and Saul with what appears to be the prophet Samuel who's then dead and is talking to him and giving him advice and so on and so forth. And you look at that and you think, okay, is that something that you can do? But understand this, First Chronicles kind of gives the other side of this picture and this is what it says. So Saul died for his transgressions which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord which he kept not, and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit and inquiring of it. When we die, we're gone. You're not contacting anybody and nobody from here is contacting you. What happened here was this. It was a familiar spirit. There is a spirit world. There are angels, there are fallen angels who can, chain, who can appear as people. And there's such a thing as what we would call a familiar spirit, somebody who's familiar with a situation. And you're like, but they had information that nobody else would, should have had. That's a familiar spirit. Ask me a question about Becca, I, I can answer. I'm very familiar with Becca. I'm very familiar. I, I know a lot. I, I could tell some stories right now that she'd be upset because her mom doesn't know, and her mom's here. I'm familiar with the background. Now she's going to ask later what story was that. I'm not saying, but I'm very familiar and that's literally what it's talking about. And we need to be careful because the Bible commands very clearly that we do not try to contact the dead because what we're getting is we're not getting that person. Is we're getting an evil spirit, a familiar spirit. That is what it is. When we die, we die. And we go to heaven or hell. And it says in Luke, as we go back to Luke, in the 23rd verse there, talking about hell, what it is. And it says, in hell, he was in torment. Hell is not a nice place. It is not a nice place at all. Um, It's not the place where, like, well, my friends are all going to go there, so I want to be there too. No, it is not a nice place at all. He says he was in torment. And in Mark chapter 9, verse 47, talking about hell, it says this, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out because it would be better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to be thrown into hell. Talking about how bad hell is. He says, where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. Um, that, That does not sound like fun. Matthew 25, 41, Then he will say to those who are on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's what it was prepared for. It wasn't made for you and I. It is not a nice place. And if you want to go someplace where you're not, if you want to be away from God, this is the only place that God's presence is not. God's presence isn't there. Want to know what makes hell so horrible? It's God's presence is not there, and it is awful. Did you know that there's no such thing as dark? there's no such thing. Anybody here got a flash dark, or do you have a flashlight? You have a flashlight, and when you turn it on, there's no more dark, because light is suddenly there. I asked a, a scientist friend of mine one time, years ago, I was working in youth, and I said, can you make a flash dark? I'm like, can can you actually, can you make one of those? And he looks at me, and he just kind of gets this little, like, totally off thing, and he's like, well, he said, no, because darkness doesn't actually exist. He goes, but I can bend light away and create a vacuum. And he starts going, I'm like, that is so cool. (laughs) Like, how do you pull light and keep it away? He says, but you cannot... Create, he goes, darkness is the lack of light. And what makes hell what it is, is there will not be God's presence in any way, shape, or form. Not only that, but over and over in Scripture, we hear the flame that never goes out, the worm that never dies, and the bottomless pit is another way that it is described. Hell is, here's what I'm saying, hell is not something a state of mind. It's, it is a place that your spirit will be forever and completely away from God and His presence for absolute forever. And in Luke 16, 23, it says this about him. He says, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Now, this is interesting. Because I think a lot of us, when we think of, of dying, this stuff is missing. It says, he looked up and he saw. And he saw Lazarus. If you're looking up, you've probably got a head. If you saw, you've probably got eyes. And Lazarus, he, knew, he, knew, he recognized somebody. You do not get a memory wipe when you die. You do not get a memory wipe when you die. He recognized him. And in verse 24, so he called him. He says, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and to cool my tongue. If he's got a tongue, I'm pretty sure he's got a mouth. Because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus bad things, but now he is comforted and you are in agony. Verse 26. And besides all this, between us is a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to there cannot, nor can anyone cross from there to us. He answered. And now this is what he cries out. He says, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warm them so that they also will not come to this place of torment. He remembered his family. He remembered his family. It was not a complete memory wipe. When we go to heaven, you will meet people. You'll be like, it's good to see you again. It, it is not over. When we say goodbye... And this is why in the Bible it says, oh, death, where is your sting? Because when we say goodbye to family and we know that they're saved, we just know that we're hitting the pause button until we get to see them again. They're going to remember you. You're going to remember them. You're going to say, hey, what's up? How are you doing? Show me those streets of gold. You are going to get to hang. You you will remember them. They will remember you. Now, his first cry was for himself. He says, I'm in torment here. I'm in torment. And then his second cry was, I have five brothers. I have five brothers. I beg you to send Lazarus to them. So heaven, heaven is there. He's, he's conscious in hell. He's conscious of what's going on here. So there is time in heaven. Now the Bible says that for God, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. But for you and I in heaven, there will be time. Revelation 6 9 says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained, those who were killed just because they were Christians. And they called out and said, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And God says, It's not time yet. You're going to have to wait a little longer. There's time in heaven. Heaven is not an empty, just... I'll tell you what, it's definitely not you sitting on a cloud, playing a harp, unaware of anything. That's that's not it at all. But there is... There's time in heaven. And not only that, but those that are in heaven, we see the rich man who is thinking of his family at home. But then later, we find out in Hebrews... Paul's talking and he says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and literally, he is talking about and referring to those who are in heaven. We saw in Revelation, they asked, How much longer until you avenge us? They were aware of what was going on here on earth. They said, How much longer until you do this? We know what's going on. How much longer? In Hebrews, he says, Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that entangles us. That great cloud of witnesses is those who are in heaven. They can see what's happening. They are aware of what's happening. Now, I don't know if they're constantly aware. I don't know if they're just looking down. I don't know how that works. I don't know if they can see all the world at once. But they are aware of what is happening here on earth. And then verse 29, we're back in Luke. Abraham said this. He said, talking to the rich man who who, who asked Lazarus to go and to basically be convincing to his five brothers so that they don't end up where he is. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Verse 30, no, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced if someone rises from the dead. Now, do you I do this, but have you ever read the Bible and read some of the miracles and the things that Jesus did? And do you ever think, like, how how stupid was everybody not to believe? Anybody else be like, if I was there. I would, have, I would have been Jesus' disciple. Like, I would have just been following him everywhere. I would have left everything. The, the ruler who says, "No, I've got my money and I can't, like, I definitely would not have done that. If I would have seen what Jesus was doing, there's no way. But here's, here's what he's saying. Abraham answers and he says, if they don't believe what they have, he says, they will not believe even though someone rises from the dead. He says, they're not going to believe it. The Bible says it this way. It says that, creation itself is such a testimony of God and His great love and power that creation itself is that we look around at everything and the seasons as they come and they go and the leaves and they fall and they come back and the tree falls and it turns to dirt again and those nutrients are then used by the next tree. He says, all of this is a testimony. He says, all of it is because it is amazing and this is, this is so encouraging to me, because I think it is absolutely amazing the number of things that we can rationalize away, absolute and 100% com- complete miracles that we can rationalize away. I shared a story a couple of weeks ago about how Avery, our oldest when she was young, got a hold of some, uh, something that she thought was chocolate syrup and it turned out to be rust stain remover and she, she drank some of it and she was trying to spit it out and saying it tasted bad and ab- we, we pray, abso- she was 100% fine absolutely great and we got the doctor poison control called and they're like she didn't actually drink it that's, that's their answer and we, we know that she did but their answer is well that couldn't be she, she didn't actually drink it I was reminded this last week of another, of another story. My dad was over, we were talking, and again, I told you, I grew up in church. And uh, I don't know if I just didn't want to go to church this day or what it was, but I was, I was really young. I think I was like six or seven years old. And my dad's like, no, you got to come today. It's going to be really fun. We got the guy, um, he, he, he has a glass eye and he can take it in and out. And I'm like, I'm in. I'm going to church today. Like that was, that, that did it. I'm like, I'm, I'm going. And uh, I remember I, was sitting, I remember where I was sitting, I remember the green building, I remember this, the pew I was sitting on, and I was not paying attention, but the guy with the glass eye was right behind me. And uh, I turned around in service, and I was like, can you really take your eye out? <laughs> and he's like, yep. And so he just does, I not does this one, and he takes it out. And I was like, oh. And I was kind of disappointed because it wasn't the whole eye. Like, I, I thought it would be like this circle. Like, the ones that you get at the store, you roll, and the eye still stays on the top. Like, I just thought it would be like that, but it wasn't. And it was just like this half, half circle thing. But the crazy part was this kid, this guy, this man, when he was a boy, what had happened is he was playing with some barbed wire. And the barbed wire had caught his eye and ripped it out. And then he was in a church meeting, and he was sick, and he went up for healing. And when he went up for healing, the woman who was doing the church, the, the, the meeting looked at him and said, we're going to pray for your eye instead, and prayed for him. And ever since he was a little boy, he still has that glass eye, but he can see without it. And so I was sitting down there, and I remember, and I watched him cover up one eye, and I held up some fingers, and I said, how many am I holding up? And he goes three, and I changed, and he goes one, and I, I changed. And he's sitting there with nothing, with nothing. So basically, it was empty, and then when it wasn't empty, you couldn't, like, see in it. I thought that would have been kind of cool, but his <laughs> eyelid was closed. But I saw him take the thing out, and he did this. But I re- here's the thing, I watched that. Absolute miracle. And yeah, he did it on stage for everybody, and it was, kind of, it was just, hey, look what God has done. If he can do this for me, and that was the message he was, he was giving. He says, if he can do this for me, he can do it for you. But you want to know what? A week, two weeks later and still today, you know what I can do? I can think, well, I wonder if he really did this. Did he, did he, did he cover his other eye? We can explain away so much of what God has done. I've got story after story after story of, of things with our kids. And I'll share just another one really quick. Molly, when she was really, really young, um, how old was Molly, love? How many weeks? She was 12 weeks old and she was on a 35 and a half inch, I know, high countertop, and she fell off the countertop and landed on tile face first. Took her, to the, took her to urgent care. And by the end of the urgent care visit, they're like, Were you there? I was like, No, my wife was there. And they're like, was she drinking? Because this baby didn't drop. This baby did not, didn't have a bruise, didn't have anything. That was God. But we can explain away. We can say, well, was it really and how far did it and, you know, did she fall on her shoulder first and then roll over? Did her toe catch and kind of slowly lower her to the ground as she went down? Like the noise that sounded like a textbook falling, was that really that or was it? did a, did a car go by and the exhaust backfire at the exact same time? We can rationalize away just about anything and here's why that's so encouraging to me, is, When I'm sharing the gospel to Jesus of of Jesus with people, it's not a science. But what I can do is say, this is what God has done in my life. Here's the change that He's had, and I believe that He can do the same for you. I don't have to know every single thing. I, I don't have to know all of it. But this man's number one cry was for himself. And then he said, What about my family? What about my family? And today, you're all still alive. I don't think anybody died during this message. We are told we're all still here. And so this is what that means. We still have time. We still have time. And I just hope we take advantage of it. I don't want to, out of fear, be like, "I have to say something just right this second, but I want to inspire you to pray and to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and say, "God, I'm here today. Who can I share?" your love with. Use me. Use me. Not out of fear of, oh no, but out of God, I love you so much. You love me so much. What can I do? I want to be used today to reach the world around me, to reach my world. Because the time will come when we can no longer do that. When we can no longer do that because when we die, we go to one of two places. We either go to heaven or we go to hell. But now, Now we have time. Now we have opportunity. So my prayer is that you take advantage of every opportunity that you have, that you seek God. That was to seek Him while He can be found because when you die, it's sealed. Jesus came in a flesh and blood body so that you and I, while we are in a flesh and blood body, can make a decision and we can take Him and He can become our substitute only while we are in a flesh and blood body. There is no redemption for fallen angels because they are not in a flesh and blood body. You and I are. We can make that decision today. Let's take and let's make the most of the time that we have today. Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.